You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Nicholas Dumit Estefes Rafoulis Bejo Ovaes. Nicholas, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Brainerd, for this invitation. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. Nicholas, I, I feel the same way. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, we're talking on October 26th in 2021. I want to ask you about your work, but first I want to ask you how, how the last year was for you, uh, the pandemic year, which is ongoing really, and, and how that affected your, your work, which, which we'll be talking about um, shortly, different projects. But, but how did that year affect you? your practice, your studio, your, your work. Yes, I would say that this period has been quite revealing to me because it has, it has really opened up a lot of doors, um, maybe I should say a lot of dimensions. I feel that uh, collectively speaking, we have entered a new dimension with, you know, with all the negativity and all of the hardships that COVID has generated. And a lot of that, it's manifested through how we are, collectively speaking, again, interacting with each other through um, Zoom and all of that, and all of that world that uh, the digital realm has opened up, um, has has been quite strange, but at the same time um, has allowed for so much to happen that otherwise would not have materialized. And then I, because of all of that, because of all of that uh, digital uh, situation, I have been able to study with amazing people all over the world and to interact with creatives around the globe. So it has really two sides. Uh, it's not all negative. A lot of good has happened. And the interactivity you're talking about around the globe, um, what kind of interactions have you been having? Uh, conversations, or this has to do with uh, projects you're doing, or, or collaborations? What kind of uh, contacts and collaborations were created, as you're saying, in the digital realm? And we're talking about Zoom, of course. Yes, I would say that the range is very varied and it goes from uh, the healing circle that I um, co-host with a colleague and this particular healing circle is on death and dying. So it's a group of people uh, mostly from the West Coast and um, a couple of people here from, from here from the East Coast uh, meeting every two weeks to talk about the unavoidable uh, what we face on a minute-second-to-second basis, death. Mm. And so that's one of the um, doors that had opened up for me, the possibility to do that. And then I just recently taught a workshop on um, ancestors um, at Copper Beach Institute. So a lot of things like that have been happening that prior to the pandemic would have never um, occurred to me that they could take place. It's, it's this coming together of minds and hearts from all over the, the earth um, for, for various reasons, to talk about death, to talk about ancestors, to 
discuss creativity and 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 more. That's, that's so interesting, and I'd I'd like to talk more about some of those things. The the workshop or the discussion group that you meet with every two weeks, where you talk about um, death and dying. Tell me a little more about that. That's certainly my greatest fear and sounds terrifying. Um, what's, what's happened in that, in that group? I, I, I know we have uh, common friends like Linda Montano, whose work also touches on that area, but, um, but so many artists and of course everyone um, is, is affected by that, by that question. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that group? And is that just a kind of a, uh, not just, but is it a, a group of people who are not necessarily artists, but just get together talking about a specific topic? Or is it part of um, a collaboration or an art project? That's actually part of Healing Circles Global. So it's a whole network. And uh, Healing Circles Global has uh, circles on uh, on cancer, death and dying, as I just said, and, and, and many other um, topics, and so the one that I co-host is specifically on death and dying. And uh, although I couldn't give you details of what kind of conversations happen between the group or amongst the members of the group, I could tell you that the group itself has been a quite, you know, has been a teacher to me to come together to uh, talk about such a feared uh, subject in our societies, uh, especially so in the United States, where death is usually hidden uh, behind closed doors. I mean, we send our dead ones, our loved ones, to uh, hospitals to die, and we send our loved ones after they die to funeral homes. Um, no judgment, um, but I grew up in a society where people would have their funerals at home, and that's actually changing. And I'm speaking about the Caribbean and specifically the Dominican Republic. That's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, when my my mother died um, several years ago, I would have loved to have a funeral at home. I I ended up, you know, building the coffin and and also uh, being right there with her when when she was dying in bed and taking care of her. And uh, it was an incredibly uh, powerful experience. And and though the funeral home was uh, kind of welcoming and and really supportive of what was happening, it would have been nice. That's true. To have it at home makes it that much more intimate. But that's not something we see in the United States, is it? Yes, I would imagine all the kind of barriers that people will have to um, to cross in order to to have a wake at home. And uh, mm-hmm. and you mentioned Linda uh, Linda Mary Montano, who is a friend, who has been a teacher and mentor to me for so many years. She's a she's a dear dear person to me, and she's also she's also my art mother. So I'm very grateful to her and for her teachings about life. And about this, um, yeah, I could speak yeah, volumes I, about Linda. Yeah, yeah, we can talk more about Linda um, if you want to in that regard, right? Because of course you've you've curated shows with her in it as as, as well as uh, as well as Praxis, and I'd yeah, I'd love to hear more about your relationship with Linda and how that's affected your work and. Uh, and then we could go on to specific projects, but yeah, how has uh, Linda? Mary Montano 
and your and your long relationship with her influenced I imagine some of the things we're talking about, but also the projects we we will talk about, like uh, the interior beauty salon or or even your your last name um yeah, how has Mary <laughs> influenced you? Well, Linda has been a source of inspiration. Uh, she has taught me so many things. I mean, I could go on and on, and I know that we have a limited amount of time, but, um, you know, Linda has taught me how to, not only how to perform uh, within the day-to-day, but to really get to the core of performance art that I feel that is something that, it's kind of getting lost uh, because of the emphasis on uh, on the superficial aspects of performance, art, and performing. It's what gets seen, and uh, not so much about what actually moves the the, the performance itself and um, serving as a channel for that uh, for the energy that moves everything. And, uh, you know, after all these conversations and correspondence with Linda, and I think that this is something she would agree to, and I think that this is something I don't want to put words in her mouth. But I have come to the realization that I don't necessarily want to call myself an artist. I call myself a creative uh, because there's only one creator, and I think that's something that Linda speaks about in her work. I don't have, that would be too arrogant of myself to refer to, to me, to myself as a creator. And, and just this, this channel through which all uh, creativity that already exists in the world comes through. And I also wanted to be able to, um, to honor uh, people from all kinds of fields who are also creators, create, sorry, creatives. I'm making a distinction here, creatives, to be recognized and to have their work and what they do on a daily basis recognized. Uh, the role of creativity or the gift of creativity is not the ownership of quote-unquote artists. It belongs to, to people who stay at home, to clean their homes, to chefs, to drivers, to people who collect garbage to doctors and nurses, to teachers. So creativity is not a, it hasn't been copyrighted by artists. It belongs to, it can be, you know, anybody can have access to it. All we have to do is to open up to that current. So I could and go the, on and, and on about Linda and how she taught me how to fight. Uh, people usually tend to run away from relationships because they don't know how to have a good fight and to stay put and see what could happen once rage and anger and all those feelings and emotions um, can be ventilated and can be discussed and embody and perform and on and on. So <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that. That's very powerful. And, uh, um, and of course, yeah, that, that reaches into that, that, that idea of a good fight and staying put, uh, you know, is a wonderful example also of, as I understand it, what you're saying about the term artist and that, it, that, that many people or everyone can also um, use, that, use that term or be, uh, be a creator 
well, not to be a creator, but create, create, create. So, so to the, to get that really clear, everybody can create. We're not using the word artist or creators. You're saying because there's only one, but everybody can um, can create and. And what does that mean exactly? Does that mean everybody can channel, essentially? Everybody can be open to a force that runs through them as opposed to a kind of conscious action-making, or is it something else? Yes, it's this idea that, I mean, I was listening to a person talk at the at Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross Foundation, and I can't recall her name um, right now, but she was talking about how everything already exists, and we only have to become aware of it. Like all of the technology and so-called technological advances that we are witnessing now, you know, from the cell phone to on and on, all those things are already have already existed always. And all we, need, all we needed to do was to find out how to connect with that. It's not that we invented something. And the same, same thing with the arts and with creativity in general. It's this idea of opening up to the current that moves everything. And so if anything, I see myself as a co, co-creator, co-conspirator, uh, working in conjunction, in partnership with the, with the life force and maybe mm. pointing to it. I like that, and, and and this is also though. I mean, it's it's a it's something that others can adopt because this is also about letting go of the ego, letting go of the idea of authorship, isn't it? Yes, and that brings us to the interior beauty salon, which is uh, it's interesting because you know I have curators and people in the arts say to me, "Oh, you know the interior beauty salon, but I want to see your work and." <laughs> I'm laughing because it, I, I don't want to sound arrogant. It's not about that. It's that I, the way I see the interior beauty salon is as a, uh, it's as a, a communal endeavor uh, that takes away the spotlight from the, from the, from the so-called artist, you know, the art star. And so this becomes about uh, doing interviews with other people the same way that you're doing here, uh, conducting interviews, conducting Q&A, Q&As and Q&As, um, inviting people to occupy some of the different digital spaces within the salon. And yes, the salon is an art piece. The salon is a museum, it's a school, it's a residency for creatives. It's a clinic for the soul. It's all of that, and at the same time, it's none of them. I don't know how to explain that. And, and when I hear people say, oh, but what is your work? That is my work. It just happened that it's, it's co-created with, with more people. It's not about me. It's about us. And I think that Dan Siegel talks about we, which is a combination of me and we. And maybe the salon is so much about that. It's the we. I think he's, he spells it M-W-E. And that's so rare, I think, in the arts because people are so caught up in this idea of the art star, in the name, in branding, in, in finding a way to become recognizable, just that one person. And how can I debunk that? 
and create something that's communal, that's, uh, that's generated by the group instead of the individual without having the so-called individual lose uh, their essence, their, 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 their core. Because we are, you know, each one of us has something specific to contribute to life and to the art. And tell me a little bit more about that. Um, we're talking about the interior beauty salon now, uh, the collaboration that you're involved in. Um, there are different things that are that are coming out of it, but and, and many artists involved. But can you tell me a little bit about it or give an example uh, from it? Yes, the salon is hosting a whole series of uh, Q&As between myself and Linda Mary Montano as well as some uh, short pieces that she wrote as we corresponded through the years. So if if you go to WWW Interior Beauty Salon, you'll get to a section that says Linda Nicolás. And there's all kinds of free offerings conversation between the two of us. The salon also has <clears throat> a section called Interior Beauty in Motion, which is mainly or mainly involves people doing dance and movement or video work. And uh, some of the past fellows are Aran Charajo, and actually the current fellow is Andres Senra from Spain, who is doing a whole series of videos on uh, on the ecology, on interdependence, and how all of us are one. So the salon has a big emphasis on on um, on the ecology, on working with the planet, and uh, on reclaiming our connection to the earth. Because we are not, as Anna Halpin used to say, we are not part of nature. We are nature. There's a big disconnect when thinking that we are part of nature. We are actually nature. We are the earth. I like that. And um, Nicholas, uh, that's that's ongoing, obviously. And and of course, yeah, there's links here, so so listeners can learn more. Um, I I also want to ask you about your name, um, which is always changing. Nicholas Dumit Estefes Raful Espejo Ovaez. Your name has grown over the years since I've known you. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, and uh, I had somebody at a garden ask me, at a garden nearby, Kelly Street Garden, asked me about all these names. And the reason why I have been doing that is because I wanted to honor all of my ancestors. And so Nicolás was my father's name. Dumit is my Arabic name. Some of my family is from Lebanon, although I was born in the Dominican Republic. And then Esteves is my father's uh, last name. Raful is my mother's last name, which is from Lebanon. And then there's other last names from family members. And all of that started in 2009 when I went to the Dominican Republic looking to search connection between or looking to find my family members in Haiti. There's a big, uh, there's, there's big chasms between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, although we share the same island. Uh, our histories have been very uh, convoluted and very um, bloodied. 
and and so I wanted to, I would imagine that most Dominicans have some connections to Haiti, and so I wanted to, maybe not so much prove that, but to shed light on that. And uh, while visiting family members, they are part of this uh, search through, um, I did that with Art Matters and with uh, Printed Matter, all of these organizations helped me get there. Malak, uh, my father's brother uh, confirmed to me that, yes, indeed, I think it was my great-grandmother uh, who had come from Haiti, and her last name uh, was Belliard. So I haven't gotten to that last name because I'm going in order. So now Ovalles is uh, the last name of my maternal grandfather, I don't remember which will be the next one, but it's all in order, and I would like to see how far I can go. I'd like to see how far you can go either. I mean, I I, I keep looking for an opportunity to repeat it again to you now in this talk. I like saying it also. Um, So is there a rate at which you go? Is it every year you add a name or so many months? How how do you you plan it out if if you do? It's basically guided by intuition. When something has shifted in me, I can't really tell you exactly what it is. I feel like I almost feel, oh, there's something that's, it's almost, it's, it's really a rite of passage. And sometimes it's marked by something that's kind of tangible. Other times it's like, oh, I feel like, I feel like a different person. And I know, you know, there's this whole thing about how every seven years, I think Linda talks about that in one of her books, every seven years, most of our cells in our bodies have changed and we are a different person. And yes, I think it's a memory that keeps me tied or connected to the past and where am I right now? And so these, these last names, they, they, just, they just whispered to me um, at the right moment, I would say. I love that so much. Thank you for for sharing that. Um, I I I look forward to hearing more about that. And and Nicholas, I I want to ask you one more question, which is, uh, what are you reading at the moment? What's on your bookshelf or nightstand or wherever it is? Wow, that's really my my problem. I'm I'm usually reading like seven to ten books, and I, what I do is like what I read like depending on how I feel and what's happening for me. I used to have all these books on my nightstand, and I would read like a chapter of one, a chapter of another one, and and so for for mental sake, I keep maybe one or two now on my uh, night table, and so the one that I'm reading is the language of emotions. And that's a book by Carla McLaren. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. And it's all about um, emotions as messengers. And right now, today, I was reading about rage and anger and how anger, let me find that very quickly. Um, She talks about how anger is about protection and restoration and how it includes rage, fury, and the healing of trauma. And the questions that anger suggests are what must be protected and what must be restored. And there's so much anger, so uh, 
surfacing now with COVID and the whole thing about masks and vaccination, who has a mask, who doesn't wear a mask. I feel some of that. So I welcome anger and rage, and I'm learning from them as I'm reading Carla's, uh, Carla's book on um, emotions, the language of emotions, what your feelings are trying to tell you. Thank you. That seems very powerful. Uh, I'd love to read that too. Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. Uh, and I just want to wish you well. And yeah, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for talking with me and for the work you're doing. Thank you, Bernard. Uh, may you be safe and protected. And may you and your family be surrounded by beauty. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.